GFA 238, Global from Asia, episode number 238. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight-up, actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. How's your soccer mom voice doing today, Louisa? Sounds better. Uh, it is better, a little bit better, but I think it's still, um, you know, there's still a little bit of man, of, of man voice uh, going on, but it's better. It's better, I think. Yeah, what about you? Yeah. You sound stressed. Yeah, and events are always, you know... Uh you know, intense. So we got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on and, and, uh, yeah, bouncing literally off the borders, just got back from Bangkok and I'm in Hong Kong and I'm going to Shenzhen today. So it's just one of those like truly cross border, uh, lives. And, uh, I know Louisa, you like traveling. So maybe was, this will be you soon bouncing between all these countries. <laughs> I do. I can't wait to get back to traveling. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> you're on your way to, uh, uh, to cross-border matchmaker as we record today, and things are looking exciting. Always that last-minute energy and excitement. Yeah, I know. It is, you know, it's it's also stress. I think anybody that does events knows the stress. I mean, plus it's it's amazing. We have people from you know throughout China coming and around the world, and it's um it's going to be an amazing time. And uh, yeah, it's um and it's great to meet people in the community, meet the listeners, and meet people, make some business deals, and we also have partners, you know, helping get involved in what we're doing. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's forced shipping. So they're supporting us again this time. Sponsored, uh, they actually sponsored Cross Borders Summit 2018 as well. So they they are an Amazon FBA fulfillment, logistics, and uh, prep company based in Shenzhen, China. Exactly. Yeah, Forrest, her the the owner's name is Forrest Zhang. She's amazing. We have we've done video interviews with her, and yeah, they'll they'll be there, and it'll be amazing. And people, anybody interested in FBA prep or logistics in China, definitely should check them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely check them out if you haven't already, because we will link to more uh, in the show notes. Alrighty, so let's talk about this week's show. What do we have coming up, Mike? Yeah, sure. This one's just little old me, <laughs> just me on the mic. I took I took a mic. I this is at like a round table in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I've been there for a couple months, so I we hosted a like a small round table and we talk. I shared about strategies about Hong Kong and China company set up hiring staff growing your business so I had to clip on microphone and I just thought I would share this with everybody listening wow wow so is this something we normally only make available for GFA VIP members yeah you know you, you caught me there Louisa we do <laughs> have a lot of these private you know calls private events and seminars for GFA VIP.com members but you know I just thought we would give people a little bit of a taste this is I think uh, about 45 minutes or so of in-depth uh, real real talk some of it I'm actually a little bit nervous to share publicly on the internet <laughs> but uh, we're we're just gonna be doing it and uh, you know trying to get more people to know about what we're doing behind the scenes. Also, we're going to do a webinar on November 6th. We've been doing a lot of these lately. So at 8 p.m. Hong Kong time, if you want to check that one out and more, you can also talk to us and talk to me live on November 6, 2018 for those um, that want to dial in online anywhere in the world. Well, there you go. There you go. Can't wait. So let's tune in. Yeah, let's do this. 
Are you looking for a Hong Kong agency to help you with your upkeep or registration of a Hong Kong Limited? Check out Unipro Consulting Limited. We are an equity partner in the firm, which is a local CPA practice that has the accreditation to register and upkeep your Hong Kong company. Check us out on the web at www.uniprohk.com. www.uniprohk.com. First, how many people have uh, been to China? I think. Uh, okay, most people lived in. I guess it depends how you define lived. Lived. About half. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, if you, I I've lived in Beijing for like two or three weeks. I've lived in Shanghai. I, I guess a month or more. Maybe it's live. Okay. So yeah, um, thanks for the intro, China Mike. We got two mics up at the front here, but I'm Mike Michelini, three. Oh, and another mic. There you go. <laughs> so this is a, uh, and Pui, Pui. She's uh, actually, it's her first day working with me. So she starts Monday officially. Um, so I just moved here a couple months ago. I lived in China for about ten years, and. Um, Mike invited me today to share. Um, I support this group, and uh, you know I think there's more and more people, China people in Chiang Mai. <laughs> I think more and more people are coming here. So this is a picture of me. I, I guess I lost some weight, but that's in 2014, and that's my wife Wendy. So I felt more confident to call it China Business Workshop with a Chinese person in the picture. So I guess I made most of the content, but I use her face. So. I'm, you know, usually have the, the white face. Now I, I call it the China face. So I have the, the China face to help me. Um, there's, of course, so much I, I could talk about. Uh, it was hard to decide what to talk about, but we're going to talk about kind of actually the operations of a Chinese entity, structuring a company, the pros and the cons of having a mainland Chinese company, uh, how to do it remotely from Hong Kong or maybe in Thailand, and then also talk about Hong Kong, Hong Kong SAR, Special Administrative Region, um, why you might consider that. Uh, my stories, I always, like, we, Peter's writing a book. He's a great resource, too. You should talk to him today. He's 31 years in China. Andrew Herbert, he's uh, 12, 12 years and a lot of experience. There's great people in this room, too. So there's, but I always try to incorporate my story with it, so it's not just me talking about the technical parts. I try to add... I sometimes get in trouble with this not totally politically correct, so uh, I might even cut some out of the recording. <laughs> but I like to just keep it real, so I hope you appreciate that. I think it's, I don't mind questions while I talk, so you can interrupt me. I don't get too offended. And um, so we'll talk about basically China, mainland China and Hong Kong companies and maybe the relationship of the two and if you need one or both or, or none. So a little intro of me. Uh, Michael Michelini. So my Chinese name is Mylini. Uh, my friend gave that to me when I first came to China in 2007. Uh, it's basically like a translation of my last name, Michelini. And uh, in China, I always like to put an arrow. So I'm up at the top right of the United States. The U.S. is a very different place. I think people know like South, Southern and Western. So I'm like a New Yorker, technically Connecticut. I was talking to somebody yesterday from Connecticut. He says, I never say I'm from Connecticut. I always say I'm from New York. But technically, I'm from Connecticut. Uh, college in Jersey, and I worked in Manhattan, Wall Street, uh, almost five years, where I started selling on eBay while I was working there. Almost immediately started selling on eBay in 2004, 2003. 
power seller. Um, you know, I was on e Amazon in 2006, 2007, um, you know, and then came to China in 2007 mostly for sourcing because I was really frustrated talking on Alibaba and Skype at like 10 p.m. on my fifth floor walk up on Lower East Side, Manhattan, <laughs> trying to say, blue is blue. This is not blue. <laughs> like, you sent me a thousand orange to my warehouse in upstate New York. No, I sent you blue. I'm like, they sent me a picture of orange, not blue. Like, it's blue. Anyway, it was just so frustrating trying to communicate to them at 10 o'clock at night on a, on a Wednesday on Skype. So basically, uh, I came down to China, had no idea what I was doing, uh, thought I would be there for six months, turned out to be 10, and now I'm in Thailand with a wife and two kids. So life goes in many different directions. <laughs> um, and I, I love, yeah, like, like Mike said, I love community. I love networking. I love events. I was, I was one of the first people to do Startup Weekend, bring Startup Weekend to China. Um, of course, Global From Asia is my, my main focus and passion now it's, as a podcaster and, and doing different events. We can talk about that. There's lots of stuff to talk about. I guess we'll do this at the end, but um, I just kind of want to understand. I know some of you here, but I don't want to either go too, too experienced and I don't want to go too basic. So I, I know like Ralph probably knows some of this stuff. I know Andrew does, Peter does. Mike does, but um, what what's maybe some goals? Do people want to? Are people trying to set up a company there? Trying to buy? How many people are buying from China? Buying? Okay. Anybody want to sell to China? <laughs> In the short term? Okay. That was weird. Um. Okay, so, well, to be honest, you probably don't need a Chinese company if you're going to be buying from China, unless you're actually going to have a sourcing office. Uh, I know people know China Mike and Rico, they have their uh, source Find Asia. So you could use a company like that. It might be, it, honestly, I used to think we want to do everything directly. Everybody, everybody talks about factory direct, business direct, but uh, there's costs to doing direct that cost more sometimes than paying a, an agency or paying a middleman or paying a trading company. So I do want you to think about that. You know, I, I'll talk about that throughout the story, but I like this picture of uh, the white mouse looking for cheese. So when I first came to Hong Kong, I, uh, my stand -up. when I first came to, I landed in Hong Kong first, and uh, I had college friends that uh, helped me out a lot. They were from Hong Kong, and they, uh, they met me at the airport. I was totally had no idea what I was doing, and they, were, they said, you're going to Shenzhen? Are you serious? Like, we don't go to Shenzhen. And then uh, they're like, the father was a very wealthy real estate person in Hong Kong, uh, Henry. And he says, um, you're like a white mouse. He says, you're looking for the cheese in China. <laughs> you're going to the labyrinth, the maze of China. He says it in his Hong Kong style. Of course, I can't replicate how he said it. But basically, he's like, you know what? You, 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 you eat the poison and you die. <laughs> And then the Chinese doesn't care because there's more white mice behind you to come into the maze to looking for the cheese. <laughs> so, so um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a lot of truth to that. So the last question is, if you're really going to do a Chinese company, are you willing to make it really independently run? So I've done joint ventures in China with a Finnish company 
where um, it was a really crazy story. I was working with a Dutch guy in China on a tech company, and then we merged with a Finnish company, and we were 49% owners of a Finnish company that opened a subsidiary in China. And he wanted us to basically listen to everything he said or they said and do what they said from Finland to China, and it just doesn't work. So... You have, to, if you really want to have a Chinese company, you kind of let it, you kind of, you kind of there's a story TIC, you probably know TIC. This is China. So another thing is uh, a lot of people want to change China. A lot of people think like, oh, why are Chinese so inefficient? Why, why don't they do better management or I can do better? Uh, I felt like that at first, but there's some reasons why they do what they do. And you just kind of, I think, have to adapt or, or die or eat the poison. Um... So establishing and operating a Chinese business, um, we're, we mentioned this in the table of contents, but basically this is, a, this is my actual license. I probably should delete some of this stuff. It's a little bit blurry anyway, but um, this is my name. Actually, my middle name is Angelo, Michelangelo. I'm not a Ninja Turtle, uh, but um, I'm the legal representative. So I wanted to be the legal rep of my Chinese company because um, I thought it'd be better. I didn't want to have somebody that's Chinese to be the legal rep, but uh, actually that means I'm liable for everything that happens in the company. <laughs> so if some idiot in the company does something dumb, I'm the person that probably will go to jail first, I think. I don't even really know. All I know is I get in trouble if something bad happens in the company. Um, there's not like limited liability. I guess even in, a ch even in America or in Hong Kong, if you're a director, and you do negligence, you can go to jail for even if, you know. But I think in China, you're like, this is like a liability. You don't really want your name as a legal rep of a company. But uh, I still operate this company. I'm thinking about closing it, to be honest. I, there's some benefits and some benefits not to having it. But the main benefits to opening a company in mainland China, I, I would say, are to hire local people legally, directly, uh, to sell in China, which legally, I guess I have to say legally for every single one of these. <laughs> um, and the third, which is a hidden benefit, I realize is to actually stay in China long term. I know in Thailand, I'm studying the same thing about long term visas. And it's the same idea. If you open a company in Thailand or you open a company in any country and then you do maybe investment visa and then... So you can you can uh, sponsor yourself, hire yourself and live in China long term. Uh, at least... The long term means every year renew your visa. So every year I still have, actually I might not do it this year. I've been doing it since 2009, but I might not this year because you have to stay a month in China to wait for it. So I don't know. I live in Thailand now. My family's here. Do I really feel like living in China for a month? Wait for my, that's actually in Christmas. Every Christmas I got to stay in China. So I might, I might let it drop this time. But um, those are, I think the three main reasons. Does anybody, I know there's some other experts here. Is there anything else, any other reasons? I think hiring people, selling there, and staying there. I think there's the main reasons to do it. So, uh, and then there's ways to structure your company. So this is the famous CHOP. Do people know what CHOPs are? So CHOPs are, they're also kind of in Hong Kong companies, but not as not as uh, much as in mainland China. I still have to do a CHOP. To, I'm, I'm doing an event in China. I had to invite somebody. I really hope I don't get in trouble. I because I used a, I used a digital version of my chop. They're so strict about these stupid chops. It's like a signature, but I, I don't have it on me in ch 
Thailand. It's in China. So um, you get this chop, and it's like the magic signature of your company. And if you stamp this, it means it's you. Whoever has this stamp can, like, do anything <laughs> with your company. So you'll get one of these if you have a Chinese company. It's these big bulky stamps, and you still put red ink, and you, it's... um. So there's three, maybe more, um, but three main structures. Representative office or RO. I don't really recommend these. People that do these usually say it doesn't work out long term. They, they switch to a woofy later. But a rep office is meant for a buying office. So if you're not planning to sell into China, but you're planning to um, buy there, maybe take your VIP guests visiting China around to factories or to companies. So you might have a rep office to um to do that but the thing that sucks about this i again i haven't looked at this in a few years to be honest but it's been about this like the last 10 years i've been doing it but basically you pay tax on your cost so if you if you spend a ten thousand dollars you got to spend i think it's about ten percent again i'm not exactly you, you, i definitely recommend you refresh this if you're serious about doing these things but you basically are taxed on your cost and the other negative is you have to um you can't hire people directly. You have to hire people through a government agency, and the government agency pays your staff. So they work in your office, and you're your staff, but technically they're under contract by a Chinese government agency, and then you pay each worker through a government agency, and you gotta pay a fee on top of that for each worker. So those are my two main negatives, and also there's also a lot of restrictions of what you can do with it. So you can't sell in China, and you can't do a lot of a lot of other things. It's a little bit restricted. So most people I know that have a rep office, it's cheaper and faster, but a lot of them convert to what is the next one, which is a woofy, which is what I have and I started with. Uh, it's a wholly foreign-owned entity, so it basically means 100% not Chinese-owned. Um, that could be you as individual, that could be you as a Hong Kong company, that could be you as a Thailand company, and not mainland Chinese person or mainland Chinese company. And for this structure, it's, I guess it's, I don't want to say the best, it's, it's the most expensive and it's most complicated. But it's the most, it's probably the, the most legitimate, legal, best way to do it as a uh, non-Chinese partner structure. So... They've been making it easier, and it depends on what city you're in and stuff. And Shenzhen has, like, we were talking about Peter earlier, but we um, they kind of always test in Shenzhen or certain markets, different things. So they have these things without – there used to be a minimum capital requirement that you had to make into the company. And I, when I did it, it was 100,000 RMB, which is about 15,000 US dollars. It's not a cost. It's an investment into the company. And to get really technical, you only have to do 50% at the beginning and 50% after a few years. But I think they dropped that now for most of the company. Because actually what happened is a lot of people don't have a company in China. So the Chinese government realizes nobody's actually doing the company. They're just doing everything by cash illegally or through a Hong Kong company. So they actually started saying, hey, we, wanna, we want people to open up companies because we get tax money if you open a company. So they started dropping a lot of the capital investment requirements a few years ago, especially digital nomads or e-commerce businesses. They call it like e-businesses. They realized a lot of these people were running massive Amazon companies, not just foreigners, but Chinese were running massive AliExpress businesses, Alibaba businesses, uh, running Amazon businesses outside of their apartment, just like us in, in Thailand. There's a lot of people in, uh, in Shenzhen doing the same thing out of a home office with staff. So they started making it easier, 
not just for foreigners, but Chinese to do this because they want, of course, to tax revenue from it long term. So Woofy, uh, well, that would what I meant for the Chinese also, they're just trying to make more ways to make sure people open a company. Of course, a Chinese person wouldn't open a Woofy. But, uh, and then the third is a joint venture, which probably a lot of you know is a JV. So that means you have to have like a, I believe is a 50% shareholder or significant shareholder that's mainly Chinese person. And it almost operates as a local Chinese company. Um, so this is if you, this is actually, you know, I'm married now, I have a wife. I mean, uh, uh, so far so good. Uh, but, you know, this is like a marriage. So just like any business partner, right? So a joint venture is a business partner. So the risk of this is, is this person the right business partner? So there's lots of books and lots of podcasts, and lots of stories and blogs of joint ventures going bad. And I don't want to blame Chinese people. I don't want to say like Chinese business people are bad. It's hard to do business with anybody, but especially if you're going to do uh, a marriage or a company marriage with a person from a different culture, different language, different value set, of course, it's going to be very challenging for you to have a long-term uh, marriage, business relationship with somebody sharing money, sharing decisions. So a lot of times it's very difficult to do a joint venture. If you're lucky enough to have a very trusted local um, business partner that you're willing to do 50-50 with, then, then this might be the right structure. But if you don't just pick up somebody at a bar, at a meetup, and set up a joint venture, of course, just like anything, you know, uh, so all these have positive and negatives. There might be some others. So number four is you have a Chinese girlfriend or a Thai girlfriend. And uh, you say, hey, I don't really feel like opening a company. Can you open up a company in your name? And you are the legal rep. And uh, all the money's in your name. All the everything's in your name. And hopefully you don't, hopefully we stay together forever. And hopefully you give me part of the money. I don't know how many bars are now Chinese girls owned <laughs> or apartments are Chinese girls owned. But, uh, of course, that's a very risky one. But it's, it's funny. I still meet a lot of people that do that, especially for local businesses with, like, bars, restaurants, hotels, stuff like that. Because, of course, it's, it's easier for a Chinese person to open a Chinese company. It's easier for a Thai person to open a Thai company. So, um it's open. It's even it's somewhat easier. For, well, it's easier for an American to open an American bank account, but it's it's pretty easy for anybody to open an American company. But um, those are the main ways. Of course, there's other ones that are very complex. Where you, the other actually some other issues with a woofy is you can't do. There's some uh, some restricted uh, industries, especially internet. So you can't do like real Chinese internet as a foreigner, like a social network, uh, news media. Like, I was a contributor for Forbes China. I did a Forbes China podcast. The whole website went offline for about a year, Forbes.cn. You can see on a Wayback Machine, they got shut down. Like, the foreign media just all got shut down in China in, like, 2015, 16 or something like that. It's back. And my, I'm so happy because my old posts are back up on Forbes China. I spent money. I had somebody actually translate it for me and everything. But, but um, so they're very, you know, you're, the risk, of course, is... Uh, you can't do everything you want to do in China. I think even, I'm not totally familiar with Thailand, but it seems like every country has restricted um, industries. Um, I think he might have talked in previous meetups about some of this, but, uh, you know, I lived in Shenzhen, actually specifically so that I could uh, do, the third, do the border hop to Hong Kong. 
A lot of people ask me why did I pick Shenzhen. Actually, Shanghai is my favorite city in China. It's a cool city. It's a really cool city. Um, but I didn't feel like flying out every 30 days. I came, I came uh, as a bootstrapper. I came, you know, with my savings and I burning money mostly because I was investing. So I came on a tourist, well, actually a business visa. I never used a tourist visa in China. I was always business visa. It's a little bit more expensive, but I just felt more comfortable with the business visa. But then, of course, you switch to a, uh, a work permit and a residence permit or a residence visa, I think, technically. And then you're an alien employment. <laughs> of course, you could also be hired by a company, and, uh, but you can also employ yourself. And then this is my business visa, one of them. But they converted I think in 2010 is when I converted it to, uh, to a work permit, which this is a business visa. And then I was hiring people. So just like... Way. Uh, don't tell the tax government she's working for me yet. <laughs> I don't have a Thailand company. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not so clear. But that's Melissa. So Melissa, I met at the Global Sources show in 2007 at a booth. She was a translator. And uh, we talked on MSN Messenger. That's not around anymore. But we were talking on MSN after. And she was looking for a job. And... I was really nervous to hire her, um, but she worked for me before I even went to China. We, we were working kind of when I went back to the U.S. She was working with me, and uh, I think the story is you're allowed to hire at least one person as an ad, as an admin or somebody to help you locally. I think the government even allows that, so you shouldn't be totally paranoid about having somebody locally working for you if you have the intent to open up a company long term. I think if the government was to come there, I would uh, I would be okay. Uh, I would just explain to them. You know, this is the crazy stuff. I don't think I have it in the slides, but the crazy stuff is, you know, I was in China. I didn't know what I was doing. I was talking to people in bars, going to meetups like there was actually meetups like this. But I wish there was a meetup like this. But you know, going to meetups, and they're like, uh, you're hiring somebody in China. You're foreigner. You're like they're gonna raid your apartment and handcuff you, deport you, arrest everybody. And then I was talking, that would be a foreigner saying it to me, right? Like a guy working in a trading company and like a big company. Paul was his name. And he's scaring me so much. I was like, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to get deported. And then I was talking to my Chinese friends in the hall down the, you know, down the hall that I met. And he's like, don't file a company. Just pay them cash. Don't tell anybody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you're stupid. You're filing a company. You're wasting your money. <laughs> or, uh. Or the other guy, uh, he's gone though. He's disappeared. His wife, well, I don't know. His wife and kids don't know where he is. Uh, he was doing a money transfer under the table, and the government started cracking down a lot. So he was the guy who'd send RMB. He would send dollars, and uh, he's gone. He's gone. Chinese. Yeah, his his wife's just like, Hawk is not here anymore. I'm like, where is he? He's like, Hawk is not here anymore. I'm like. What does that mean? He is not here anymore. I'm like, it's a phone call. I'm like, one of my friends sent him $25,000. Do you know where that is? <laughs> and she's like, oh, really? What's his name? And I was like, and then she's like, you can hear her typing. And she's like, oh, yeah, I see it in the email. We're just really busy right now. I'll get to that. I'm like, if you have a money request, you can talk to me. I'm like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> no, the, the 25 was still exchanged, but... Uh, he stopped using that service. Um, that's the scary thing, you know, about 
doing business on, uh, you know, as a, as a, you don't really know what to believe. So you got one extreme saying do everything totally legally, and you got the other side saying do everything illegally. Um, but these people were hired legally. Um, luckily, because he called the labor bureau on me, Mark. He he uh, he got. Yeah yeah, I let him go. Um, I could explain this story, but. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I support people. So he wanted to do his own e-commerce business. Actually, a lot of my old staff are top top sellers on Amazon now. So he wanted to do his own e-commerce business. He wanted me to be an investor. And he's like, just let me work in the office sometimes. I just like to work with, I like to be here. I like to work with people. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I can still help you out. He was a graphic designer. So I was like, okay, Mark, how about let's try for a month. Let's try for a month. So he's in my office and he's drinking my water and he's like talking to my people and he's like doing his own thing and he's not really doing what I'm asking him to do. And I'm like, okay, Mark, it's been a month. Here's your salary. Uh, let's just say that's your last month. He's like, no, no, no. I want like another month. I'm like, no, no, that was your month. <laughs> like that was your month. Cause you gotta give a month. Uh, actually Jojo helped me. She's my assistant at the time. And, uh, she got him to sign a termination agreement because you really got to get documentation if they leave. So he call, he decided to call the labor department on me and uh, report it. And then uh, they called me or they called my called my office number and they talked to Jojo and she says, oh, no, we have all the documentations. We have him signing the agreements. He left. He signed it. He left. Um, so he didn't get it. He didn't get it. Um, but if I had done everything illegally, you know whose fault it is? It's not his fault. If I was paying him cash and then he reported to the labor department, do you think he's going to get in trouble? I'm the foreigner. I'm the employer. I'm in trouble. I think there's like massive fines. Like mass. I don't know how many months you pay for every staff, but you'll pay a lot. So at that time I had like 10 staff. So, you know, um, labor department, I think everywhere is not really uh, forgiving. So you, you do got to, if you really are serious about having local staff working for you, um, it's a little bit risky, but I think, I think if you have a you know a, a partner, maybe not a partner, but like an agency, you you they should if they're smart they should ask for a decent percentage of margin on that. They sh if they just you know, because they're taking on risk. Because a staff is a risk. There's costs. There's taxes. There's liability. There's severance pay. And if they're putting it in their company. And you're paying them, they should definitely make sure they even you, they get a deposit from you or or something, because the person hiring that person is taking the liability. But uh, it would be better probably to hire somebody through a friend. Um, if I were to do it again, um, and the funny thing is, some Chinese staff like to get employed legally, and some don't. And I can really get into the details of why, but basically, some are not from that city and they're immigrants. And they don't get the benefits of that city's health benefits and insurance benefits and tax benefits. It's almost like they told me he's basically just throwing money out the door because they're not going to get that money back. It's how they explain it to me. So, But if they're a local person from that city, like I was in Shenzhen, they would get a lot of more benefits and they would get more – they actually felt more confident they were going to get the retirement savings or whatever, whatever the programs were. So I remember some people wanted it and some people didn't want it. I guess I'm safe to say it now, but yeah, sometimes I paid cash, to be honest. Um, um, but you just, you're, it's your risk. It's not the employees. If something goes bad, it's the company's problem.
Um, and then the employee yearly bonus, I don't know how it works in Thailand yet. I got to start to learn. But in China, there's Chinese New Year. So usually at least 13 months. So at least an extra month usually uh, around January, February and a month of no work. <laughs> so it's almost like 14 months kind of because you're paying an extra month and you're not getting a month of work. But, um, you know, you got to make sure you have a contract uh you know, I have like a landing page. This has already been on a site, but uh, I have like, I give my PDF I got from a lawyer for free just for the email. Um, but basically the main point is I have, it's, sorry, it's not clear, but uh, basically it's of course, um, the main things is uh, how much, what's their job title, the, the termination. You got to document, you got to document everything. I've had like, I think some people here know Mike Bellamy, from Passage Maker, um, uh, Bellamy, Mike Bellamy. He's a, he's a good guy to know. Um, but uh, he's like a, he was like a pro because he had so many staff. Because he, he, he actually had the assembly operations in China and a lot. So he's always dealing with it. And it's all dudes here and, and her. But, you know, women are – it's tricky because pregnancy. And I, I forget, but it's, it's a lot of months for China for a, for a child. And it's very risky because – Almost they know that they have the power, not women, but the employee. And uh, if you fire them around when they're pregnant, they like uh, go to the labor department and then they get, even if they don't have to work for you, they get like six months or something like this. So if you document everything, so, so sometimes they almost purposely wanted to get fired. Like I don't want to talk, put words in his mouth, but he has some case where he told me where um, he lets go of a woman and then later she says, because I was pregnant, he says, I didn't know you were pregnant. It was because of your performance, and then she took him to court, and he won because he had it all documented. He had the case. He he had all the cases documented. So you just want to make sure that you document everything, you know, to really cover yourself. Um, and it's true. I think it's really true. Foreigners are foreigners, so the government will listen to a local person more than a than a than a foreigner. Um, I know Mike's covered this in other ones, but. It is much easier to buy from a factory if you have a Chinese company or if you're working with a company that is in China with a company because you actually have an entity in China to do a contract with. So that is a, maybe a, another benefit that I would say is, um, is that you can buy from a Chinese company uh, and have legal, legal actions against them. Even with a Hong Kong company or uh, especially a U.S. company, I don't think it's as easy to take legal action against them. Um, and then, of course, you get the contracts. I don't think I was going to skip this. This is basically, the, I think this is covered in other ones. You know, you have to have your contract with your uh, supplier and on both sides. So you're buy and you sell. And then, I w actually, I did this presentation in Hong Kong. So I, Hong Kong or Thailand or anywhere. But, of course, WeChat... Anybody doing business with Chinese people is, or have a Chinese girlfriend has WeChat. So WeChat's. I still use QQ sometimes. Actually, it's funny. I just use QQ to send huge files. So it's, it's great for sending humongous video files or humongous picture files to your factories or people in China. Um, I guess maybe Weibo is not as relevant, but it's like the Chinese Twitter. Another hack is you can buy samples on Taobao. So a lot of times people don't know how to make a prototype or don't know how to explain to their factory what they want. You can find almost anything on Taobao, which is like the Chinese eBay, and send it to them. 
And uh, you st- I still believe you need somebody in China. Like I still have somebody now. I'm not. I have a Chinese wife that's here that can help me still talk to people in China. But we still feel like you still need somebody there, um, even with the chop. So we have the chop with our accountant. And it was it was Golden Week last week, so all of China was shut down. And you know you feel like you you just need somebody there. You still feel like you need somebody there. To operate your company, you still needed the paperwork, banking. Uh, it's still gonna have somebody there that you trust, that has your papers and your documents and your chops to do stuff for you there. So it's not a hundred percent automatable where you can. But even my friend, like he was complaining about Bank of America or Chase, he had to go back to the U.S. for his bank account. Some people have to go to Hong Kong for HSBC or banking. Banking is something tricky everywhere, but banking you're gonna probably have to go back to China for. Um, so the second part, I do want this to be interactive. Um, I hope this has been helpful so far. So one thing that I say, we're going to talk about Hong Kong structures next. So I hope that was, of course, that could be a, a book by itself or a, a course, but that was a kind of a skim of the different options and, and the different um, ways of structuring it. Let's talk about Hong Kong. So with Hong Kong, I'll be honest, I moved to Shenzhen directly. I was the white mouse going into the maze looking for the cheese. Uh, I didn't listen to Henry, the real estate mogul. He would let me even stay in one of his apartments for free in Hong Kong to stay there. I remember that. I was like, I don't want to stay in Hong Kong. I want to go directly into China. I don't want to go to Hong Kong. And he was even going to give me, I don't know for how long, but he says he, he had an empty apartment I could have stayed in. Um, I don't know about you, but when I would search on Alibaba, I would usually not look at Hong Kong flags on the listings because I would just consider them a middleman. I would consider them a trading company. Um, but then I realized... I had to open a Hong Kong company. So when I when I was in Shenzhen, I was almost going to open up a Chinese company in a Woofy, and I was opening up the Woofy in my personal name as a U.S. citizen. My lawyer, which I paid three or four thousand dollars to, says, "Mike, you know, I could do this for you, but I really recommend you have a Hong Kong company that owns your Chinese company." And I said, "Why? It's like another cost. It's another structure." She says. Um, it's because it, it's uh, it's easier for it was just easier for everything. Basically, you have to get it's a nightmare actually. The woofy you got to get these ch- chops and the seals and all these documents and proofs and bank things. So you can you just go to Hong Kong banks, you go to Hong Kong accountants. They know how to do this. If you're a U.S. citizen doing this or a U.S. company doing this or a Thailand company doing this, it's much more difficult. So if you're really serious about opening up a mainland China company legally and owning it and selling it, of course, there's always under the table. You can have your girlfriend do it. You can have your friend down the street, you know, for five years, have a Chinese company, you trust him. But if you really want to be the serious person to do this, open up a Hong Kong company, and then you have to open up a Chinese company. So I went back to Hong Kong, stayed at my friend's place, Henry. <laughs> I opened up a Hong Kong company, and then I used that to open up my Shenzhen company. Um... So why Hong Kong? Uh, taxes are still... Re- I mean, of course, there's a 0% tax. I don't feel like getting into that. But even I still try to tell people, even a 16.5% is still decent. I still recommend people. I know there's digital nomads here that don't live anywhere, that don't have addresses. I mean, that don't pay taxes anywhere. I think those days are going away more and more. There's more and more data sharing between governments. 
with the U.S., China, all this stuff. So I think if you're trying to get away from paying taxes anywhere in the world, you're not going to be able to do that much longer. Of course, if you're small and under the radar, but if you really want to get big, you're going to have to pay taxes somewhere. So if you're going to have to pay taxes somewhere, you might as well pay it somewhere low and legally, which is Hong Kong. So 16.5%. I think there's even 8.75%. Actually, I'm a partner in a CPA company in Hong Kong um, now. But um, so you get low taxes legally. Um, you also have a lot of Chinese companies that have a Hong Kong companies. So you can pay them fast, you know, Unfortunately, HSBC is not like it used to be, and it's almost impossible to open, but still, banking within Hong Kong to Hong Kong is very fast and easy. It's English language system based on the British system, so you, all your documents will be in English. Uh, the court system is pretty legitimate, easy, and I say er, to connect to China, so they know China business, they have tons of people to speak Mandarin, and... I should have done this, damn it. <laughs> but I could have been like, a, I could have got a Hong Kong permanent ID, permanent residence in Hong Kong. I never, I've been in Shenzhen for 10 years. I have a lot of friends even living in Shenzhen doing it. I could probably still try to do it. You're supposed to re, kind of meet, you're, to, to get it, you're supposed to kind of live in Hong Kong and pay tax and employ, employ yourself. And, So a lot of people even did it when they were living in Thailand. I have a lot of friends like Manuel Bekvar. You might have known him Port Dojo and stuff. He did it while he was kind of back and forth to Chiang Mai to Hong Kong. They're, they're not, they're not going to say how long you got to stay there. They kind of just want that whole live definition. Um, have an address there. Um, and pay tax, employment tax there is the main requirements. And then the benefit is you get the, like, if you can send your kids to public schools for free, you know, you can have your kids there, you could um, get the health benefits of public public hospitals. Um, and uh, Hong Kong is a pretty cool place to be a, be a resident of. So uh, I've never done that. I've never attempted it. I've had friends going through the whole, th I've watched friends start to finish and I haven't done it. <laughs> but uh the disadvantages is the damn audits. So I'm a, I'm a, like I said, I'm a partner in an audit firm and I have clients always complaining to me about the audits and they blame me or my company and it sucks because like, I can't really, it's the government, you know, in tax, any government's slow and a pain in the butt, but the audit is a pain in the butt. Um, so, you know, you got to do yearly audits with a CPA and it's not too cheap. So you got to, you know, you're going to pay a few thousand dollars a year about depending to do the, you know, the renewal, the address, the audit, um, things like that. And you're going to have to have, you have to keep your documents, keep your bank statements, keep your tax filings. You know, it's not like offshore company where you BVI and you just don't do anything and don't file anything. And it's not a place to hide yourself. Um, you know, I can look up, if you give me your Hong Kong company name, I can spend uh, 50 Hong Kong dollars and I can get your name, your pass. I think your pass. I can get a lot of information. Anybody can get it. So you're not hidden in Hong Kong. You're in the government database. You're in a searchable database. It's not an offshore tax haven. It's not a place to hide. So um, some people think that's a negative, I, you know, but that's a positive. So um, I went pretty fast, and I think I still was longer than I wanted to be because I wanted to be questions. But, um, yeah, it's my podcast, Global From Asia. Actually, I give too much information for free, and uh, there's tons of free, hundreds of podcasts, blogs, um, videos, and uh, yeah, we have events. So we have an event in a couple of weeks in Shenzhen, Cross Border Matchmaker, Friday, October 26th. Uh, it's like 100 bucks at the entry level ticket. It'll be round tables and matchmaking, uh, business speed dating, <coughs> for um, for a full day. 
like uh, nine to six, and then after parties and stuff in in Sheko District. Uh, it's like a rooftop place, so it'd be cool to see a couple of you there if possible. And I think think that's it. Love Global from Asia and want to get even more? Then check out our members-only area at gfavip.com. Here you'll get insights and access to me as well as other members in our private forum, as well as a ton of other valuable knowledge and information, as well as special connections, monthly calls, insights, discounts on product services and events, and more. Plus, it really helps support the show. Check it out at www.gfavip.com. There's Mike pouring his heart, well, more like his brain, on that episode. So thanks for sharing, Mike, always bringing in the goods. Yeah, you know, I think I try to try to document everything, a little maybe Gary V influence, you know, might as well. If I'm going to share with this small group, might as well let people on, online and for years to come enjoy it. It's, it's common questions I get and, you know, uh, things we talk about a lot in our VIP members program and everything else. Yeah, so we also added a one-on-one coaching to it recently, right? Yeah, so I've been learning to help members even more. I know everybody has very specific private questions and they want experts to ask. So we made this new feature in the membership where you can start a private thread that only I can see and the others in the community management team and in, in our team. And we can work closely with you on your very specific in-depth Asia business question, whether it's China sourcing or it's company set up in Hong Kong or, or Thailand visas or all this stuff we talk about on the shows. If you have a burning question, you want to talk to me privately about, we have this new coaching thread feature in our gfavip.com f- uh, forum and uh, membership. It would be amazing. That's awesome. So that's definitely something people have been asking and uh, a way to also support what we're also doing here at Global From Asia while also getting personalized coaching and advice. Way to go, Mike. Yeah, sure. I mean, we got this event in a couple of days. It'll be over by the time this show is online and uh, I'll be <laughs> hopefully de-stressed. But this is what we're trying to do. I think a lot of times people can't make it to China or Asia and they have these burning questions and and uh, hopefully this new private coaching will be a way to work with people. And I, I'd love to hear feedback. And we have the webinar, too. So also, if you want to see the slides, also get these contract templates for manufacturing and employee contracts. This is members-only content. You can join our membership at gfavip.com. That's the wrap. Yeah. Let's just That's go. awesome. Let's rock. See everyone on the next episode. See you guys soon. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.